Our scripture reading today is found in the book of John, chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. Again, that's John, chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. And it reads, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Amen. Well, good morning, East Point Church. Amen. It's so good to see you all uh, once again. I want to give a special um, welcome to those who are visiting with us this morning, whether you're in the building or by way of our live stream. Let me say to you how glad we are that the Lord would, would lead you and guide you to come and to fellowship with us, to log on and to join us as we seek to lift up our praise unto the Lord our God this morning. I do pray that the Lord has already begun to encourage your heart, even as he is ministering to you by his spirit. If there's anything along those lines that we can help you with, direct you to, or any question that we can answer, um, please do not hesitate to ask. It'd be our pleasure to, to serve you in any way that we possibly can. Amen? Amen. Well, it's good to see you, East Point Church. It's been a few weeks that the Lord has given me opportunity to uh, be away and to get some writing done. And um, Praise God. Thank you for your prayers uh, during that time. Uh, it has been, been fruitful by God's grace. And uh, Lord willing, uh, we'll be able to enjoy uh, some of the fruits of, of those labors here soon. Amen. 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 So thank you. Thank you for your prayers. But I am glad to be uh, in the house of the Lord and not watching by live stream. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, the Word of God has been read in our hearing this morning, John chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. Uh, as our text this morning, let us pray together that the Lord would indeed uh, bear fruit in our lives through this text this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God. That even in our faithlessness, you remain ever faithful. 
faithful to accomplish your will, faithful to bring forth your word, faithful to do your work in our lives, indeed, in this world. We do ask now that by your spirit, that the word that we have read would be a fresh word in our lives, that it would get down into our hearts, and that it would bear much fruit for the glory of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Be with us now as we think and meditate together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, quite a few years ago, I had the experience, as I am sure that um, most of you had, of answering the door, right, on a Saturday morning and being greeted by two people, nicely dressed individuals, wanting to teach you and introduce you to the Watchtower Society, or better yet known as Jehovah's Witnesses. After a brief exchange of pleasantries with these two individuals, we began to talk a while, and we eventually got down to the heart of the matter. Who is Jesus? While holding Jesus in high regard and considering themselves to indeed be followers of Jesus' teachings, in talking with them, they refused to admit to Jesus being who the Bible says and, in fact, whom Jesus says he is. Emmanuel, God with us. It's interesting, it's interesting. You talk to uh, your average Jehovah's Witness. They believe a lot of things about Jesus. They believe Jesus is the way to God. They believe Jesus died as a sacrifice. They believe Jesus is a son of God, the firstborn of God's son. They believe that Jesus will usher in upon the earth a kingdom of peace and tranquility. And they believe all these things because as they read the Bible, they believe that the Bible teaches these things about Jesus. And yet, in spite of believing all these things that they say they believe about Jesus, this is the conclusion that they come to, according to their own words, and I quote, we do not believe Jesus is Almighty God. And therefore, we do not worship him. Unfortunately for the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Bible says differently. In fact, Jesus himself said differently. And, and those who heard him, and those who listened to him, as he taught, they understood and heard him saying just that. Our text, our text this morning, beloved, is biblical proof of the deity of Jesus Christ. It is biblical proof 
of why we not only acknowledge him as the son of God, but we also worship him. Amen? What we have in our text this morning is what I refer to as the quintessential divine self-revelation of Jesus. This is it. If Jesus ever wanted to make it clear that he is not just the Son of God, but he is also God the Son. This is the text. And he did so beginning in John 5 and verse 17 and following. Now I call it the quintessential, right, divine revelation, divine self-revelation of Jesus. And quintessential simply means it is the most typical and perfect example of a person or a thing or an idea. And so what I'm saying in these words here is that if you want to know what Jesus thought about himself and thus how we should likewise think about him, well, beloved, here it is. Here it is. Now, last week, Pastor Phil walked us through the encounter, beginning of chapter 5, right, of, of Jesus' encounter with the lame man at the pool, Bethesda. And how Jesus healed the lame man. And he healed him on the Sabbath day. And after Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath day, many... Many became enraged at Jesus by what they perceived as Jesus' disregard for the Sabbath laws and traditions, right? As far as they were concerned, Jesus was working on the Sabbath and therefore breaking the Sabbath commandment. Jesus was working on the Sabbath because healing is working. And in response to their outrage and in response to their accusations, Jesus made as bold a statement as he has made up to this point in his public ministry. In John chapter 5 and verse 17, Jesus said, now they accused him of working on the Sabbath, which was against the law. And Jesus says, in verse 17, my father is always working, and so am I. Stop the presses. Stop the presses. Not only did the Jewish authorities find this language 
unacceptable, beloved. But they found it blasphemous. So that's what it says in verse 18. So the Jewish leaders, after hearing what Jesus said, tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. Not just because he broke the Sabbath, but because he called God his Father and thereby making himself equal with God. Now, beloved, what we have okay, in our text this morning from verse 19 on down is our Lord's extended explanation of his actions, of his intentions, and of his authority. But what we have more importantly in that is an extension of God's grace to sinners. I don't want you to miss this. Let's think about this for a moment. Jesus did not owe these people an explanation. I'll go one further this morning. God never does. When I was young, when I was a young boy, and my mother would tell us to do something, or she would tell us we were going somewhere, or she would tell us that something was going to happen, I would often ask her, why? And her response was predictable and clear. Because I said so. That was the only explanation she gave because in her mind, that was the only explanation I was owed. Beloved, contrary to what some may think, and perhaps some of you may be thinking that this morning, God doesn't owe you or me an explanation for his work in this world or his work or ordering your life. God doesn't have to make excuses for being God. In Psalm 115, we're going to get back to the text, but in Psalm 115, verses 2 through 3, the Bible says, when the nations say, where is your God? God says, you are to respond, our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. Now listen, beloved, that is not just a response we are to give to the nations. That is helpful self-talk. That's helpful self-talk. Where is God this morning? In the midst of my pain, in the midst of my sorrow, in the midst of my frustrations and lack of understanding, where is God? 
answer? God is in the heavens, and he does as he pleases. Now, the fact of the matter is, beloved, that Psalm 119 and verse 68 also says that God is good, and all that he does is good explanation or not, explanation or not. In fact, and here and here's us getting back to our text, in fact, any explanation that God gives to unworthy sinners is nothing more than extension of his grace in our lives. Beloved, if God explains his ways, if God reveals his means to us in this world, it is because he is good. But if he does not, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had it right. He is still God. This is why, beloved, this is why Jesus is so amazing. He is the revelation and the explanation of God. Think about that. God didn't owe us Jesus. But he sent Jesus anyway because he's good. And I don't want us to take that for granted this morning. God didn't owe you understanding of who Jesus is, but he gave it to you anyway. Why? Because he's good. God didn't owe us an explanation of who Jesus is and why he did what he did but he has given it to us anyway because he is good. When the Bible says that Jesus is full of grace and truth, beloved, this is what it means. If you want to know the truth and grace of God, you look to Jesus. If you want to know what God is doing, you look to Jesus. If you want to hear what God has said, you listen to Jesus. And this is basically what Jesus said to the religious leaders who challenged him on that day. He was an extension of God's mercy to them and God's grace. And he said, you really want to know what God is doing? Watch me. You really want to know what God says? Listen to me. When 
they accused Jesus of making himself equal with God. Jesus said, you don't know the half of it. Not only are you right, but let me explain. I do the work of God. I speak the word of God. I exercise the wisdom of God. I do the work of God. This is what Jesus said. That he does the work of God. Jesus equates his ability, his power, and his authority with the work of that of Almighty God. With the power of that of Almighty God. With the authority of that of Almighty God. Or as he calls him, not Almighty God, he calls him Father. Father, Father. Right? Verse 17. My father is working unto now, and I am working also. Now, they accuse Jesus. They accuse Jesus of violating the Sabbath by working on it. Jesus said, in essence, you might not be allowed to work on the Sabbath. But I can. Not only can I, I must. Now don't miss this, beloved. Don't miss this. God works on the Sabbath. Yes, yes, yes. I know what the Bible says. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, at the end of creation, right? So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God rested from all his work of creation. But beloved, God didn't stop working. The work of providence continued. He ever worked protecting and providing for his creation. He ever worked helping and healing his people. The providence of God does not take a Sabbath. Doesn't take a Sabbath. Praise God. God cares every day, beloved. Listen. Babies are born into this world on the Sabbath day. Saints leave this world and go to their eternal resting home on Sabbath days. People walk in the hospitals on Sabbath days. And people walk out of hospitals on Sabbath days. People get ill and people get healed on the Sabbath day day. The Lord your God, the Lord your God provides food and shelter for you on the Sabbath day. He does not take a break. He who gives you a break doesn't take one. 
Praise God. Praise God for that, beloved. This afternoon, if the Lord is gracious, I am going to go home and I am going to take a nap. And beloved, I look forward to my Sunday afternoon nap. But I also am gracious of what Psalm 121 and verse 3 and 4 says. That while I am napping, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. While I am sleeping, the Lord is watching over me. He is working. He is keeping me. I'm going to sleep this Sunday afternoon. But my God, he never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's never at ease. This is what God the Father does. This is what the God the Father is ever doing. He is ever working. And do you see what Jesus said in verse 19? Whatever the Father, whatever the Father does, I do. Whenever the Father does it, I do it. Beloved, when Jesus said that, they understood exactly what Jesus was saying. That Jesus was calling attention to the uniqueness of his relationship with God and the oneness of their unity. Beloved, I don't want you to miss this. In their society, sons were expected to do what fathers did. Aaron was a priest. His sons became priests. Abraham was a shepherd. His sons became shepherds. David was a king. His sons became kings. Jesus said his father is God. Like father, like son. Like God the Father, God the Son is Lord of the Sabbath. Like God the Father, God the Son is sovereign over creation. Like God the Father, God the Son heals our sorrows and he carries our sicknesses and he saves our souls. As he says in verse 21, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Why? Like father, like son. 
they didn't miss that. We do. They didn't. They heard what Jesus was saying. I do the work of my father because like father, like son. Not only does he do the work of it, but he also speaks the word of God. Not only is God the Son doing whatever God the Father does, Jesus also said that he is saying whatever the Father is saying. Look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal Now, John chapter 14 and verse 1, Jesus made it clear, right? To believe in God is to believe in him. And then John chapter 6 and verse 63, Jesus said, his words are life. And this is true because God's words are life. Remember Ezekiel? Remember Ezekiel? The Bible tells us that God spoke life to dead bones. When he spoke to Ezekiel and he said, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, well, yeah, Lord, they can live if you want them to live. In verse 5 of chapter 37, Ezekiel, the Bible says, and thus the Lord God said to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Because when God speaks, dead bones. When Jesus in John 11 walked to the tomb of Lazarus and he spoke to Lazarus, beloved, Jesus was speaking to dead, dry bones. But even more than that, beloved, that day he came and he spoke to me. He was speaking to dead dry bones. And it is the word of Christ that makes us alive. The word of God. The word of God causes men and women to come from death to life. Right. But in particular, not just the word of God. The Bible says it's the word of Christ. The words of Christ give life. Colossians chapter 2 In verse 13, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God made you alive in Christ. 
How did he make you alive in Christ? Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 that you were made alive not by the perishable seed, but by the imperishable, living, abiding word of God. What is that word? What is that word that has made you alive? That has caused you to be born again to a living hope. James says that you have been born again through the word of truth. And what does John 14 and 6 say? Jesus says, I am the truth. I am am the truth. The word of truth by which you have been born again. Imperishable seed is the word of Christ. Beloved, this is important because there is no difference between the word of God the Father and the word of God, the Son. Christ is truth. The word of God is truth. The word of God brings life. The word of Christ brings life. There is no difference in what they say. And therefore, there is no difference in how we praise them. This is why we worship Jesus. Jesus understood this. In fact, he calls us to it. John chapter 5 and verse 23 in our text, we are to give the same honor to God the Son as we give to God the Father. The same reference, the same allegiance, the same value, the same esteem, the same praise. There is no difference. And now the Jehovah's Witnesses might come to us and tell us that we make too much of Jesus, and we tell them, you tell that to the Father. It is the Father who instructs us to listen to Jesus. It is the Father who directs us to make much of his Son. And we lift up the name of Jesus not because he is son, but because he is God. God. Jesus understood this. He understood this, beloved. He knew what he was saying. And not only did he know what he was saying, he knew that it would get him in hot water. And he said it anyway. He said it anyway because Jesus knew who he is. He knew who he is. I don't always know who I am. I don't, beloved. 
Am I saint or sinner? I feel no pulls in my life every day. Am I good? Am I bad? Any day I could be running hot and I can be running cold. But thankfully, beloved, there was one who always knew who he was. He was highly conscious and confident in who he was. The Son of God, God the Son, your Savior and your God. Ever conscious, ever aware, never a doubt. The Son of God and God the Son. These are the words he spoke because this will be the wisdom that he exercises. Because he alone can exercise the wisdom of God. If you still have any questions, if you still have any questions this morning as to the divine character and authority of God the Son, then you just listen to what Jesus says at the end of this passage. In verse 27, speaking of God the Father, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. God the Father has given all authority to execute judgment to God the Son. Think about it, beloved. Think about it. Who really has the right to judge? Really. The Bible tells us that God is a righteous judge. And the reason God is a righteous judge, beloved, is because it takes wisdom to judge righteously. It takes wisdom, insight, and discernment to judge righteously and the father has given the authority of judgment over to the son because like the father the son is full of wisdom that's what it says colossians chapter 2 verse 3 right in christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge therefore beloved he is able to judge because all wisdom and all knowledge is in him. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24, Christ is the power of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. And to be able, to be able to judge righteously, beloved, you have to be able to see as God sees. You have to know as God knows. You have to understand as God understands. 
You have to be able to look as God is able to look. This is what he says, right? In in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, what God says, people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. In order to judge, you have to be able to pierce into people's hearts. The symbol of justice in our country, beloved, is a lady. And she's holding scales. And she's blindfolded. She's blindfolded because the justice system is supposed to be blinded to a person's wealth, to a person's power, to their race, to their color, to their gender, to their religion. Every person is supposed to be equal under the law. Unfortunately, we know this has not always been the case. Why? Because men and women in this world are not righteous judges. Thankfully, beloved, the Son of God is. Jesus is no respecter of race or color. Jesus is no respecter of gender or wealth. Jesus is no respecter of power. His judgment is righteous. His judgment is true. Why? Because he is able to see the intent of the human heart this morning. He knows who's lying about their faith. He knows whose faith is only an outward working and an outward appearance. He knows whose faith is real. In this world, beloved, your outward appearance may save you. In some contexts, you would be advantaged to be a woman and you'll get saved. In some contexts, you'll be advantaged to be white and you'll be saved. In some contexts, you'll be advantaged to be a man and you'll be saved. In some contexts, you'll be advantaged to be a Muslim or Christian and you will be saved. But in the world to come, your gender won't save you. Your race won't save you. Your money and your power won't save you. And dare I say it, but I'll say it, beloved, your religion will not save you. Only Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. Only the Son of God saves Only the Son of God can save because only He is God the Son. This is why, beloved, this is why, this is why human judgments are futile and discouraged. You ever wonder why the Bible discourages us from judging one another? discourages us from judging one another because we can't save each other. I can't judge you, beloved, because I don't have a heaven or hell to put you in. 
but there is one who does. And this is why his judgments are true. Because the one who is able to judge is also the one who saves. He has a heaven and a hell to put you in. And heaven and hell is the prerogative of God. Or better yet, our text tells us that it's the prerogative of Jesus. Eternal destinies are in the hands of God. Jesus says they're in his hands because he is God the Son. The best that we can do in this world is judged by outward appearances. But we can't save. You know what it says in Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 22? For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. There's a reason. There's a reason why, beloved, there are 12 members on a jury. You know why? Because in matters of great importance, you don't want to leave them to one person. No one person has enough insight. No one person has enough discernment. One, one, no one person has enough wisdom. No one person has enough knowledge unless that one person is Jesus. And Jesus, beloved, is judge. Jesus is jury because Jesus is Savior and you can trust him. You can trust that he will judge rightly. You can trust that his work is perfect. You can trust that his word is sufficient. You, so you can trust that his wisdom is enough. You can trust him. And I need no other one on that jury. I need stand before no other judge. When you stand before him, oh, I pray that your words would echo the words of the hymn. Lord, I have no other argument. I have no other plea. It is enough that you die and that you died for me. He who judges is he who saves. Would you trust, would you trust the judge this, this morning? Would you trust him with your life? Would you trust him with all that you are. He knows. 
He knows. And he has come to save even this morning. Would you put your trust in him? Eternal life is granted to all those who believe that he who is the Son of God is also God the Son. Eternal life is available to all those who put their faith in Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, and our God. Would you trust and believe on him this morning? Let's pray.